Welcome back to Sprinkle with Hope podcast and your host Shane. And today our guest is Rachel Cruz. We talked to her about financing and how to budget and those type of things. And I think it's important to learn some of those tips so that you can live the life that you want. Rachel was really awesome and she gave some really down to earth good pointers about how you and your family can budget and save for vacations and other practical things in your life that will really help you and your family to grow together and not be afraid of money or have that shame like she talks about. Super great episode. Listen in and I hope you get something out of this episode. Here we go. Rachel Cruz. Welcome to the Sprinkled with Hope Podcast. This is Jason. And this is Shane. And it's podcast time. Welcome to back to Sprinkled with Hope Podcast and your host Shane. Today our guest is Rachel Cruz. We're so excited that she is willing to join us. Uh, she is a number one New York Times bestselling author a financial expert, and a host of The Rachel Cruz Show. She has a lot more experience and knowledge in the financial aspect than Jason and I, and so we're so glad that we're able to tap into that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So my first question um, is around, of course, around money, but you talk a little bit about the seven tendencies that we all tend to have. And can we talk a little bit about maybe a few of those and why it's important to uh, understand those and learn more about those? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I kind of started diving into really unpacking why we handle money the way we do, Um, you know, for over a decade now or three decades here at Ramsey Solutions, we talk about really the how-to of money so much, right? How to budget, how to get out of debt, how to give, how to save, how to invest, how to get insurance. I mean, all of it. And as I've talked to people, we, you know, so much of winning with money is your behavior. It is what you actually physically do with your money that changes the course of whether you win or not. It's our decisions that we make uh, with our money. And so understanding, okay, so why do we make the decisions we make with money? You know, we all tend to lean these different ways, whether it's from how we were raised and our upbringing to our fears around money, maybe, or our goals and our dreams, where we want to go. Uh, even our personalities. That's kind of where the tendencies came out of uh, as I was looking. And as I was writing about these, I didn't want one or the other to be a right or wrong because I feel like that can happen sometimes too in the financial space. Uh, So even like the spender and the saver, that's a tendency. And so understanding, okay, do I lean more on the scale of a saver or a spender? And in the financial space, you know, savers, they always get the applause. They're like the good (laughs) kids in class. Everyone loves the saver. Uh, and I'm a natural spender. So I always was like, well, but I'm still good. I can still handle money well and still love to spend money. I can do both. And so really realizing those, that balance in it all. So, so yeah, so we can start with that first one, the spender or saver, which I think is always fun. What are you guys? Are, do you lean more spender or saver? Uh, I'm definitely a spender. You know, I like to spend money. So that's where my wife really helps balance me, you know, cause she's the saver. And so with the two of us working together, I think we come up with, you know, some really good common ground. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I, <laughs> I love to spend money and make those memories with my families and and those type of things. But uh, my wife and I balance each other out. She is very much a saver and, and puts us in a financial situation where we're in, where I can spend a little bit more money. And that's all yeah. because of her. 
love it. I love it. I know that's the same, same in our household. In most married couples, I feel like that's what they find too. It's like that opposites attract kind of thing. Right. Which is great. That's what I always tell my husband. I'm like, you keep me from like not being broke and reminding me of like Excel sheets and that we need to do this. And I let us have a life and we have fun. <laughs> there you go. So well put. It's a good balance. Yeah. So um, another tendency is the scarcity mindset or the abundance yeah. mindset. So I think this is always fascinating. And, and again, I don't think in, in turn, neither is right or wrong. Cause I think there's kind of strengths to both the more cautious scarcity mindset. Um, but there also could be negatives to both. And so, you know, the abundance mindset is I lean more that way. Uh, and it's kind of one of those things like, it's all going to work out. There's, if we make this wrong decision, we can make another decision. There's other decisions to be made. There's more money. There's more options. Everything's fine. <laughs> Uh, where I get a scarcity mindset, it's a little bit more like, uh, let's slow down before we make decisions. I want to think through all the possibilities, be very wise about this, because if something goes wrong, I want to make sure we're still taken care of. Uh, so, but they can be too cautious at times that, right. you know, all of that. So, so that's, that's one type of tendency where are you guys more abundance? Would you say we're scarcity? Uh, probably more abundance for sure. Just, yeah, it, it'll come, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I loved how you said, yeah, we can make a decision and, a, and that might be different. Maybe someone would say it's wrong, but there's another decision that we can make. And so I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's like, yeah, I can always make another decision on top of my decision. So yeah, it, it, to me, it's really a, that mindset, right? The, the way that you see those type of things. So love that you shared those tendencies and, and we could sort of share what we are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of understand and unpack. And, and yeah, there's seven of them I write about in the book. So it's, you know, all different types. But again, I think too, with personalities, when it comes to money, the extremes can be dangerous on any ends right. of these things. So kind of finding that medium ground of this more balanced approach, it, we're always going to lean probably one way or the other, but even identifying it and knowing um, that this is kind of where I tend to, to lean in certain areas and it can, you know, raise some red flags if needed, but also kind of give you permission that you're okay. You know, you're not always wrong. <laughs> right. I, I love that. And I, you know, you have these four different types of money classrooms and I kind of want to talk about that because th that's sounded really interesting to me. And I just wanted to get your take on it as, you know, maybe a little discussion about what those are and kind of what, what, what does that actually mean? Those money classrooms. So your household growing up really was your classroom in life. That's like where you learn so much and there's some lessons we all take with us into adulthood. There's some lessons that we just kind of leave over there in the past. We're like, we're probably not going to do that as adults. Uh, we all have those, right? And so money is the same way. The household you grew up in uh, really can define how you view money. And what's fascinating is I find people either mirror a lot of what they knew growing up and they just kind of fall yeah. into it or they do the absolute extreme opposite. They like are like, I'm not doing that. That's how I was raised. I'm not doing that. So. <laughs> So it's fascinating to watch people as they kind of unpack um, how they grew up. But money in a household is really communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally, obviously, but it's also communicated emotionally. And so mm. with the verbal, it's either open or closed. It was either open communication or closed communication. And emotionally, it was either calm or stressed. Yeah. And in that, it makes these really this quadrant uh, that ends up being these classrooms around money. So the first one is the anxious money classroom. And this is where communication is closed. It's not talked about, but it's stress filled. You can really mm -hmm. feel the tension. It's yeah. not said, 
but you know, like, oh, yeah, mom and dad, I, I can't ask for that because it's, it's going to be a kind of a harsh no. And it's not talked about, but you just feel it. The second is the unstable money classroom. So this is where it, the environment is still stressed, but it's open communication. So mm. probably lots of conflict, fighting. Uh, you know, you, you heard about the money fights and the money problems because it was talked about. The third is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. People that were raised in this household would say, you know, my head was kind of in the sand, never even really thought about it until I was on my own. It just wasn't a thing. Like truly just was not a topic you even thought about. And then that fourth money classroom is probably the, it is the healthiest of the three or of the four. And it's the secure money classroom. So this is where communication is open. Money is talked about, but also there's a calm, emotional state in the household. And you don't have to have a ton of money to be in classroom number right. four. But it's the idea that you that your your parents had a level of control, parents or parents had a level of control knowing, OK, this is what we have. Uh, maybe we're sacrificing to get out of debt, but we were in control of this and it's not just complete chaos. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so it's always interesting to kind of go back and pinpoint, OK, where was it? And it may be for different seasons of your life. Maybe you switch classrooms. And what's fascinating, too, is talking to families even the same set of siblings that grew up in the exact same home because of their personalities may put themselves in different classrooms of how they kind of right. the situation. Right. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's always good to go back to say, okay, this is what it was. And here is what, how this affects me and how I view my money today. So talking about classrooms, you grew up in a, in a household where your father talks a lot about financing. That's been his career. And I saw something that fascinated me that you, you say that you, you didn't like financing and and those and budgeting and those type of things. So I'm curious, what changed for you? And you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So growing up, I yeah naturally I was the spender. My personality too. I'm not like the most detailed person in the world. <laughs> and so keeping up with stuff. And I remember we had to get as when you turned 15, you got your own checking account. And that's when you like wrote checks back in the day. So we had right. to keep, you know, the register in the back and, and dad. And then we had to take the bank statements and go against the register. And then we had Quicken on a C on a CD that went into the computer, <laughs> like the whole thing. Right. And yes, yeah, so we mom and dad, they made us do all of this, which I was now obviously grateful for. I'm like, right. but I, but I hated it. I'm like, I, I don't know where receipts are. No, I don't save receipts. I don't know. I bounced three checks actually out of my account. I just kept writing <laughs> checks at them all and didn't have the money in the account. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was just a little bit of a mess because of, I don't know, I don't want to blame my personality, but I just didn't care. And and I always too felt like a budget specifically meant no. I mean, I feel like every time I heard the word budget, it was, well, yeah, we can't go shopping. No, we're not going out to eat. We're on a budget. Vacation, it's not going to, you know, we're, we're really going to slim down because we're on a budget this year. You know, it's just, and I'm like, the budget, it just feels like you're not a fun person if you're on a budget. <laughs> so I want to enjoy life and live life. And for me, that equated not budgeting. And um, after I got married, actually, I got married right after school. So uh, we were very young. We got married. And my husband, who's the saver, kind of the nerd, <laughs> likes the control of the money. He was like, you know, we really got to kind of figure out what we're doing all this. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And every part of me just I didn't want to, even though I knew we should be doing it was so hard but i'll tell you you know that we've been married uh almost 13 years and so from that point to now i have just i have i've, I've turned the corner and i've really understood and lived out the idea that a budget does not limit my freedom 
a budget actually gives you freedom. It gives mm. you permission to spend. It gives you limits. Yes. And yes, does it give you boundaries? Yes. Uh, but it does give you this level of freedom that when you go and check out at the grocery store or online, you're not second guessing and thinking, oh gosh, should this go? Is this too much here or there? And you're, and you're dancing around. It is laid out for you. So you can spend with such freedom and permission uh, that it, that you just enjoy life more uh, versus second guessing everything. And so the budget really is so powerful. But I understand people that cringe at the word and all that because I was you. I was you if you're doing that right now. But really being intentional um, in anything in life, which I know you guys probably talk about so much, but it's, man, it's just so important to live on purpose. And with your money, that's what you're doing. You're controlling your money versus your money controlling you. I love that. I love what you're talking about. And I, I think it's really important to have a budget. Um, so kind of talking on those lines with a budget, Shane and I, we talk about vacationing all the time. It's one of the things we really, really enjoy to do. So how would a family who's kind of in a tight spot financially still save and, and have a budget, but be able to go, you know, to somewhere nice, maybe not, you know, Disneyland or France or something like that, but right you know, maybe just go on a, a family vacation every year and, and how, what does that kind of look like? What are some hints and tips and things like that could, that could help? Yes. So, uh, I love the idea of sinking funds, which is where you just put a little bit of money aside each month. And so planning ahead is, is really important. I think when it comes to, to a lot of this stuff, just looking ahead and say, okay, what are we doing here, here, and here? And if you know you have a vacation that you want to take, you know, maybe it's next summer and it's like, okay, and not, we have nine months to save roughly kind of here's here's what we could save realistically in nine months to completely set aside so when it comes to the vacation we have the money for it or along the you know we need to book airline tickets maybe three months out so like lining just the details up and then saving for that and you really have to let the money determine what you're doing versus just your want and your desire and I think too when it comes to experiences or even buying something I always like to kind of underneath know the motivation of why and so understanding okay so what's your main what's your main reason for going on vacation is it just to have rest is it to get away is it to have spend time with your family if you can identify what's motivating you to take that trip then maybe you can actually get those motives if you will uh, you know get that itch scratched maybe other places than just what you think in your head of it just has to be here and this time, maybe it could just be something else. Maybe it really does look like three nights away to get away and unplug yeah. versus seven nights away. You know, so you can kind of determine right. when you know the motivation. But I love on the tactical side, yeah, just putting money aside each month to know, okay, this is earmarked and plans for what we're doing. Because I don't want you going into debt and financially digging yourself in a hole on something that you that you can't afford. Because vacations are the worst when they follow you home and then it's <laughs> credit card bills that you have to pay for months on end. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, Jason and I are dreamers. Like we love to dream and, and think about where the next place we're going to go to. But let's say that somebody who's hearing this is like, okay, yeah, like uh, this makes sense, but I can't, I can't find myself saving money and I know I need to, but is, is there something, maybe one tip that you can give that might help them start that process? Yeah, I mean, a big thing for me is pointing back to the budget and to say, you know, when I teach about budgeting, I always say you give first, give something, even if it's a little. I think that's such an important part of our posture with Love money that. overall. So you give first, save second, 
and then you pay your bills. And so what mm. happens is people go through and they do everything. They pay for the seven streaming services they have and the gym membership <laughs> and the food delivery store, you know, everything that we have in our lives. And then they get to the bottom like, oh, man, I don't have money to save. I don't have money to give. And I'm like, yeah, because your budget is, is upside down. Turn it around. Mm. And then it really forces the priority of what you want in your life. And I think that there's also um, there's kind of this idea of, of, of I don't want to say growing up, but there takes a level of maturity to say, okay, I'm going to delay pleasure. Like in the moment, yes, I want to go on Amazon and buy X, <laughs> Y, and Z because it feels good and I'm bored and I just want to do it. Uh, and it takes it takes a mature person to delay right. pleasure and delay gratification for what you really want. And so there's an element of that, I would say, that plays into the emotional side. And then also a, from a mathematical standpoint, too, if you still have debt, if you have student loans, if you have two car payments, if you have four credit card bills, if you have a personal, I mean, all these things that people rack up throughout their lives, it is going to be hard to save because you have no margin. You have no yeah. margin. And so the process of getting debt free not only is incredible emotionally because you don't owe anyone anything and there's such freedom in that, but also mathematically it frees up so much of your income to be able to do the things you really want to do versus being tied to Toyota Motor Company and MasterCard. And so getting the priorities straight of, okay, what if we worked ourselves out of debt and had no payments? How much money would we have left over to save? Maybe. So, so it's kind of maybe a, a different mindset shift, uh, but there's definitely some ways to do it uh, from a tactical mathematical standpoint, but also an emotional standpoint to say, if I'm going to grow up and do that, like I, I got to be a grown up. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I have to, I have to be in a habit of doing this every month. I love that, that, that like visual of just flipping the thing completely upside down and doing it that way. I, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, here we are in this economic uh, situation that we're in, inflation is up and all these things are happening to us, right? And and maybe not even really making more money, but we've got inflation that rise, rise with us. So how how does somebody maybe invest or start investing in this kind of climate that we're in? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, so with investing, you know... Um... Warren Buffett always said, which I kind of loved, I was like, that's a good way of looking at it. He said, be greedy when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of a different mindset shift when the market currently, it's not as down as the news is making it out right. to be that like we're all going to die. It's, right. you know, the market's not that down, uh, but it is it is lower than it was. So right. we, can, we, we see that. Uh, but for me, you know, when it is low, I'm like, well, that's just a chance to buy more. I mean, your, your, your money will go further right now. And then I, I mean, maybe I'm an optimist, but I'm like, I just believe in the American economy enough to believe that we're, it's going to come back. I, I, I eventually agree. believe we will make, we will come back from this. And in that term, then that's actually when you make your money, you know, you buy when it's low, sell when it's high, but with investing, I don't want you to sell. I want you to be in it for the long term. Right. So. So that's uh, that's one way for sure to look at it. And then again, on a kind of a tactical standpoint, once you're debt free and you have a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses saved in the bank, and that's all done, then I do suggest investing 15% of your income into retirement. So that's you know 401ks or if you have a 403b or a Roth IRA, uh, but looking at those retirement vehicles are, is really important yeah, to put as much money in or that 15% as early as possible. So, so yeah, I'm a fan of investing and I'm a fan of leaving it alone. Don't even look at it. Like people are all yeah. freaking out. I'm like, I don't Me know too. the market's down. I'm not looking, I'm not looking, <laughs> just I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it. So, 
yeah, you kind of ride, ride the roller coaster. Yeah. I'm with you. I haven't looked at mine for like two years. Cause I just like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> exactly. Love this insight. For those of you watching this, you can see behind Rachel. Um, she has a book, know yourself, know your money. A lot of great insight in that. I think that was just released last year in 2021. Uh, so if you have a chance, check that out. Uh, really great advice. Uh, we're at a point where we call the double down dose. Are you ready for this, Rachel? Yes, I am. So <laughs> I have a question. We ask all of our guests this. We love asking these questions. Uh, we talk a lot about hope and we want to get your insight in. How would you define hope? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think hope is is believing that there's there's always going to be a way, you know, I, and from the financial standpoint, kind of my lane of what I see so much is that there is a lot of hopelessness in money mm. and there's a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of regrets um, because there's a number attached to the decisions you've made with money. Literally, it's like looking at you in the face. And so uh, people become hopeless so much, so much with their money. And so when you have hope, you believe that something can be different. Like, is it going to be a hard road to change your habits or to sacrifice and get out of debt? Is it, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard, right. but it's still possible. So that desire to know that something can still be different with my life and that I have a level over my destiny, over uh, my life that I get to make decisions day in and day out that's going to affect the outcome of my life. That's hopeful for me because that means there's always chances, right? We, we laughed about it earlier, but I'm like, there's always decisions to be made. Even if you made a wrong decision, you can make another one tomorrow. Like we right. can, we can keep trying right. this out. So, so yeah, I think when desire is there, knowing that my life uh, has a chance to still be different, even when it feels hopeless, that that's hope to me. I love it. Shane and I love asking these, these questions because they're, they're simple at their core, but they just, they, they get to people and, and, that pause that you had there, like, oh, oh boy, I haven't no, I really thought about what hope means to me. Yeah. So the second part of the de double down dose today is what is your definition of love or how would you define love? Mm. Um, I would say my definition of love would be, um, I think being known in it all, uh, and having a level of, uh, still a lot of grace with also a level of, um, which I think when I feel the most love, yeah, a level of not challenge, I would say necessarily, but almost a level of um, asking the right questions to get me to understand more of what is going on in me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like that's when I feel the most loved by someone, when they're, when I'm fully known and they yeah. know everything, but yet they don't always just let me sit in it. Sometimes that's what we do, and I feel right. loved by that sometimes, but also digging in, having enough um, courage and self-awareness to push back a little bit on me to allow me to kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. Know, is, that, is that love? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's no, your I definition. thought it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's why we love asking those two questions, because they really seem so simple on the surface, but it, it everyone without fail pauses for seconds. I've never thought about that. So we just love asking those questions. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today, for your insight, for the things that you do to help make this world a better place. Uh, hopefully the, the people who are hearing this get something out of it and really listen to what you're saying. And, and if they want, take your advice uh, and buy your book and 
thank you again so much for your time. Absolutely. You guys, thanks for having me on. I so appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Rachel.